0: Music mm-hmm. This is Ashley from GoldenGoddesses.org, and welcome to the February 28th, 2019 episode of Threshold to Ascension Radio. For Joseph and I, today is the last leg of our journey from the East Coast back home to Oregon after two months on the road, and we'll be arriving late tonight, weather permitting. It has been an interesting drive cross-country, and I'm grateful to the weather elementals and our I presences for keeping us out of the worst of the storms. On some of our routes, we saw several semi-trucks jackknifed in the ditches and SUVs that slid off the interstate with the black ice. And even in Oregon, the plow called out to help clear the roads after almost record-breaking snowfall in Eugene slid into the ditch near the Department of Transportation Depot. So wherever you are, I trust you are warm and cozy and looking forward to the coming spring equinox on March 20th. I don't really care what the groundhog says. I'm ready for spring. Originally, we had planned to be back home in Eugene, Oregon tonight so the show could be live. However, choosing to travel safely rather than quickly, especially since the direct route from Twin Falls, Idaho through Bend to Eugene is still reporting high snowfall and much of the road is actually reported closed, this requires us to take a more circuitous route. So therefore, tonight I'm sharing with you the audio from the after-the-show interview I did with Susie Hansen on August 16th, 2018, we aired that show live and this after the show has not yet been shared on BBS radio. It goes further in depth to our initial discussion, which you may wish to explore in the Threshold to Ascension radio archives here on BBS radio. While we're at it, I also want to give a shout out to BBS radio for their diligence in continuing to rebuild as it says on the website, they're waiting for the newly installed T1 transmission lines to be made fully operational. So thanks Don, Doug and crew for your continued dedication to the hosts and listeners of all the BBS radio shows. So if you're not driving, let's start with a brief meditation and then move into the pre-recorded interview with Suzanne Hansen. Let's take a moment to center ourselves in our heart. Unless you're driving, close your eyes and just bring your consciousness down into your heart it might help to actually place your hand on your heart to assist you with connecting with the core of your being and as you do that be aware of your breath going in and out of your being and breathe in Breathe that breath down your body all the way down into your toes. And when you exhale, just set the intention. You're releasing all energy that no longer serves you. On your next natural in-breath, breathe at your own pace. Set the intention you're breathing in the divine light of source. You're truly honoring yourself by filling every aspect of your being. From the tips of your toes to the tips of your fingertips to the top of your head. Every aspect of your being with that divine light of source. And when you exhale, just let go of energy you're carrying from your situation in 3D. Any duality dramas that have been playing out. Just let that go. And again, breathing at your own pace on your next in-breath, breathing in the divine light of source and the intention of connecting to your own magnificent I am presence. Imagine what it feels like to be the light being that you are. And as you exhale, letting go of any doubt any thinking small as you breathe in the truth of the light being that you are and just breathe that for three breaths breathing in, connecting to the very cell of your being the core of your being to the light being that you are finding that sense of being centered and being present now Now as you breathe in the golden light of source, as you exhale and breathe out, imagine a golden orb of light is surrounding your being. As you claim sovereignty over your own energetic field, sealing off your energy to all but your own divine light, divine love and divine truth. As every photon in that orb of light around you pulses at the frequency of the divine light being that you are, and just be in that frequency. And using this feel as a manifestation, as a connection, a communication to the source that you are. Take a moment in your heart to envision your dream manifesting in your 3D reality this year. Without any worrying about how it's going to happen, just allow that vision, that passion of your heart to feel what it feels like to be living that in your 3D reality. And breathe that through every cell of your being for the next three breaths. Breathing what it feels like to embody to live in the timeline where your heart's dream is your reality. and Surrender the how or the when to source and your I am presence. This is a beautiful practice to do just for a few moments every day, perhaps when you first wake up in the morning to do this centering and breathe your dream into your reality. And if your mental body asks, but how or when, surrender that to source and your I am presence. And take a deep breath connecting from your cosmic gateway down through the higher gateways, down through your crown, through your body, out through your root chakra, through the grounding cords in your feet, and anchor this dream into the core of Mother Gaia. Asking Mother Gaia to assist you in manifesting this dream into your reality. When you're ready, bring it back in your heart, and slowly and gently Open your eyes. Take a deep breath, and now we'll continue with that pre-recorded interview. Aloha, everyone. This is Ashley from Threshold to Ascension Radio. This is After the Show with Suzanne Hansen, author of The Dual Soul Connection, The Alien Agenda for Human Advancement. So we touched a little bit on the show about the three waves of the volunteer souls, and you talked about how there's change coming up and this agenda from the Benevolent Grays and the galactic beings to really support not only humanity awakening, but how it spreads out through the universe. Can you give us the bigger picture and understanding it doesn't doesn't have to just do with Earth?
1: The way they described it to me, Ashley, um, they used the analogy of a river, and they said that if we, if we look at a, a river that's free-flowing, you'll have a central channel where the river is clean and clear and it's moving swiftly. But then as you go to either side of the riverbank, you'll find that it slows down and the, the, it gets muddy and it gets uh, scummy and there'll be weeds growing and there'll be rubbish that's been thrown in there, etc. It'll be murky and life it doesn't support life so well in, in that area. And uh, they basically said that spiritually, that's where we are. We're in the sort of murky outwaters. Um, so we we need to um, be brought back into the flow of the universe, the ex- flow of the expanding universe, and be brought back into that um, forward moving of spirituality and forward moving of evolution because we've become what they described as retrograde spiritually we've actually gone backwards in, in our spirituality in the way we treat each other and the way we treat our planet and there's a major concern over that because you know whatever we do here if we blow ourselves up or we turn this planet into a place that's not very livable and we decide we're going to go out out into space somewhere as we are already considering doing. Before we've actually changed our ways then um, it's logical that we're going to make an awful mess out there and we're going to affect other species, particularly if we bring nuclear warfare onto our planet. Um, uh, you know I describe an experience in, in the book where I was taken to see a, what I call a galaxy screen and i was showing the, the impact going way out into the solar system and beyond into space of the uh, the bombings in japan nagasaki hiroshima and so um that really brought it home to me, what, what we are doing to this planet and how everything, the, the, the whole vibe and frequency that we create on this planet is, is it's not something that is static and stays here, stays on this planet. It actually permeates frequency-wise elsewhere and other species don't want to be touched or tainted by it.
0: And I think as we remember that more and more perhaps we'll be able to shift that retrograde spiritual tendency. What do you feel is the root of that retrograde? Is it just free will? Is it interference from other negative alien agenda, very topical, you know, label that's given out there right now? What's your sense of what's causing that retrograde?
1: Well, I think that um, as our pace of life has got faster and as we have created more and more technology on our planet um, we have not given it sufficient thought as to where that technology is going and how it is going to affect, the, affect not only the environment but um, but the human uh, nervous system for example um, you know I was told by the Greys once about how um, our rockets and, and our aircraft cutting through the atmosphere uh, affects our nervous system. We've got hundreds of thousands of planes in the air every day around the planet, and what is that actually doing to us? So um, we look at the the radi- radiation and the electromagnetic fields that are emitted by a lot of our technology that are harmful to us, to our brain, to our, our immune system, and our whole bio you know biology. So. Um, I think we have to draw a line in the sand at some stage and examine our technology and really start to make changes that are that are based on the good of mankind and not based on money, greed, and how to make the next buck out of the public. We actually have to start looking at the public as being us. Absolutely. And not, not, not something that's just a consumer. It's us. And it's every one of us. And again,
0: I don't want to put you on the spot, but do you feel that that is a complete human decision or there is some power and control influence from more, um, oppressive, if you will, alien races? <coughs>
1: Well, I haven't had any contact with oppressive alien races, but I have heard other people speak about it. Um, That may be the case. I really can't speak um, Hmm. adequately on that because it's not my experience. Um, But really, I think we're quite good at making a mess of things ourselves.
0: Well, and I also feel that this is my personal thing. Some people call me naive but even if there are those let's say um, oppressive alien agendas that if we turn within and raise our own frequency and take our own personal responsibility for the footprint we leave on the on the earth then it really doesn't matter If those bullies are out there, and I don't mean to simplify it, but to take it back within and as each of us choose to raise our own frequency to remember more of who we are in the multiverse, then that's what's going to break the chains. That's my personal opinion.
1: Well, actually, I think um, the, the simplistic view is excellent, actually, Ashley, because, um, you know, the Greys always said, keep it simple, you don't have to give us fancy names, you just call us visitors to our planet. Right. And, you know, that's keeping it simple, and that was their advice, you know, they don't have to have starry names, and and I think you're quite right, I think um, self-responsibility is, is crucial, um, we, we all know people who've, who are not exercising self-responsibility, and, and they're you know they're walking train wrecks Um, so self-responsibility but also I agree with you that taking responsibility for your own vibe and frequency um, we have most people don't have any understanding of how effective and how how positive your, your own personal vibe can be to those around you. We get glimpses of it. We, we, we know sometimes when we're in the company of someone who makes us feel good, um, and really that's, that's how, how we need to be operating more.
0: And I believe that's the frequency that our benevolent you know off-worlders carry right and that's how they they exist that's how their worlds are I just had a thought pop to me I, I don't remember reading it were you actually ever on um, a planet with the greys or was most of it on the craft your experiences
1: most of it was on the craft but I did have one experience I pondered about for years um, because I, I actually thought I'd been taken to another planet. I absolutely believed it because I could describe the the, the flora and the fauna. I could describe the houses. I could I could describe the vehicles, um, and and I was absolutely sure I'd been taken there. Um, and um, one of my colleagues, Brian Dickerson, who's a, a trained hypnotherapist, um, he did a, a session with me just. Actually, a couple of years ago, and we discovered that what i'd what I thought remembered as being on another planet was actually an extremely advanced form of augmented reality ah. where you could you it was like you were there, that you could smell, taste, feel, all of the senses and more um, were were telling you that you were actually in that environment. but I was actually in a room on a craft, experiencing advanced augmented reality.
0: Fascinating. And what was the purpose of experiencing that? Do you have any idea?
1: Yes. um, I I was with um, a grey, but also with some human-like entities that I've had contact with over the years, and they were showing me their home and their environment uh so yeah it was a very interesting experience and i can understand absolutely now having had that regression and and walked through that the whole feeling of of um actually standing in basically in one place or moving here and there but actually not being on a planet but experiencing that and i also um you know, I'm, I'm amazed I didn't twig to it because when I was 12, I was taken into the, the Grey quarters on a craft, and I actually watched uh, Grey on what I called the virtual reality chair. And um, he was sitting there, and he explained to me that with this uh, this particular chair, he was exposed to a particular light directed at his eyes, and he could enter any program at all, and he could go to all of these places in the galaxy and on different planets, et cetera, and experience um, environments in their totality. So it should have registered that maybe that's what I'd experienced.
0: <laughs> you know, years ago when I was in Australia, um, I had one of my turning points and I had a very powerful experience. I remember a lot of things had been happening and energetically I was going through recalibration and I was sitting on a, um, or lying on a massage table. And I just started saying, I can't do this anymore. I can't be the television camera for you. Right. I can't I need more help in balancing this. I need more help in holding this frequency. And it was a very at that time felt like a traumatic experience of going through this grief and this energy. And I've attempted a couple of times to regress and I go white knuckled. I feel like I've got centrifugal force going against my body and my head. So when I say that I forgot the patience, Chip, um, it's, it's true because I've had those glimpses of experiences, but for whatever reason, there is a very strong force that's not allowing me to go deeper into that. Have you ever experienced anything like that or uh, you may well, not have. Yes,
1: actually what you've just said actually is quite astonishing because um you said you could you couldn't be the the television screen for the anymore. more or something like that was it? Right yes. right. Well, um, that's interesting because in one of the experiences I write about in my book, um, I was with a small group of humans and the grey told us that they would be, they would see and experience and hear through us. And on one occasion I woke up in bed and I opened my eyes and it was as if there was a little screen here and there was a grey looking at me and I was looking at him and then, oh, he got a shock. Oh, she didn't see me and the screen was gone just like that. Mm. And, um, on another occasion we were we were being taught how to parent these third wave children. Right. Now that might sound strange that you have Greys telling you how to parent a human child, mm-hmm. but they seem to know a great deal more about us than we do. Um, and and they said they showed some what we know as video footage on a screen um, of the the parent and the child interacting. And we saw ourselves up there and we were thinking, how did they do that? Well, it's because we had an implant which enabled them to see. So but, there you are. There I am. I can align with what you said perfectly.
0: <laughs> there you go. Well, again, as I said, I've tried to um, go into regression with it or into hypnosis. And it wasn't so much that I was resisting. I literally had this pressure, like I was in a, you know, a rocket ship taking off, pressing on my body like a centrifugal force that I, I just couldn't move beyond at that time. So uh, the patience chip, I st- I'm still waiting for that one to open up. And the other experience I had um, was, and I, I loved reading about you in that blue light state that because I had an experience of Being in a, in a form that was, um, more light, but my, because I do a lot with frequency and sound, that I was toning souls into physical form. Mm. Assisting with a frequency to assist them almost like gas becoming rain, becoming ice. Mm. And, and it and was.
1: Was that here? Was that on this planet?
0: It was an in-between, but I believe it was for coming into, oh, okay. into a more physical form, right? Mm. Um, it wasn't, I didn't see a planet. It was all light at the time, but it was mm. if bringing essence into a more physical form. And mm-hmm. what I remember the most from that is feeling those entities. I'm going to use the word entities experiencing that density for the first mm-hmm. time and in human forms we would say the pain of it yep. right because that's the language that we use and just that whole grief or sense of guilt right human guilt um, mm-hmm. of, of having been part of helping them come into what they chose but that it was not necessarily what we would call a pleasant experience,
1: yes, so very interesting actually <laughs> that's really interesting because um, in my in my book where I describe um, mer- the merging procedure where the the soul of my future the soul of my son entered my body and the body of uh. the baby that he would inhabit, so to speak um, they they slowed the metabolism (coughs) right down because they said that he had an enhanced soul. He'd been enhanced, as I have, and... um that when he moved into the body, if they didn't slow my metabolism right down till I was almost cold, um, it would shock me. So it's very interesting that you talk about the toning that's enabling the frequency to enable them to move from one frequency and into that denser frequency. Very interesting. And,
0: and it wasn't necessarily into a human form; it was into a yep. denser frequency. It yes. still could have been, an, you know, an, an, a higher dimension, but it was. Mm-hmm. Um, from, from the source energy. So you mm-hmm. talked about that third wave and the progeny and the sun, and one of the things we didn't have a chance to really go into on the radio show was this whole concept of the dual soul identity and what that truly means, which is a big part of your book, The Dual Soul Connection. Would you yes. please go into that a little bit? <laughs>
1: um, okay, so... I'm actually going to go into this in quite a lot of detail on my next book. Um, Just give us a hint
0: then, only as much as um, you want I, to. <laughs> but
1: um What I did with my first book, Ashley, was um, I, I looked at all the material that I have, you know, my experiences, and I had to select out what I thought would best describe or illustrate the points I wanted to make in the first book. And the second book, then I'll select out again – what i think is going to best illustrate um so i didn't put everything in the first book about the dual soul i've given more of an overview because i think um it, you know it can be could be quite a controversial topic the dual soul as i can think of um certain groups <laughs> in the world that might be a, you know in opposition to the idea but um I have, it's incredible how many scientists I have met and psychologists I have met and talked to who are not opposed or worried about the idea at all. They're very comfortable with that idea. So um, really, um, when I was I, a ball of light um, planning to come into this life, um, I mentioned in the interview we've just done how... Um, I was given once I'd made the dec- I'd, I'd agreed that I would come in as Suzanne Hansen in this life, and the spiritual governing body that I was in front of at the time, like a job interview, had said yes, we we think you can do this. Do you want to do it? And I said yes. Um, and then I, I was offered to be part. Do you want then to be part of a program that we were working with, what we know as extraterrestrials to assist in the evolution and the spiritual upliftment of this planet. And I agreed to that. It was at that point that I and the blue ball of light, the soul that was with me, then instantaneously found ourselves on um, a gray craft. So in soul form, I was introduced to the gray craft. There was an instant recognition and an instant knowing that I had worked with them before. Oh, this is familiar. I've done this somewhere else with them. That's okay. Uh, and at this point, um, we we received as as part of of the uh, our soul we had melded to us. So, if you can imagine the soul as an electric ball, and this other piece of consciousness that wasn't part of what we'd experienced in our many lives wasn't part of our personal soul experience. This other piece from a living grave. This other piece of consciousness was melded onto it, like that. Interesting. So, with it, we now have this um, ability to very quickly tap into their consciousness. So, um, you know. It, I guess it will have made it much easier for me on a craft as a child, and it could be one of the reasons I have so much conscious memory of being on a craft, um, is that I could very quickly come on board and instantly tap into their, their mind, their structure, their consciousness, their technology. Uh, Whereas maybe other people who come on are in a more fearful state, it's strange, they're resistant or or whatever. But for me, it was very comfortable and I felt like I was them and they were me. And when I was um, eight, almost nine, I had an experience where um, I I was taken on the craft and I was shown a room full of little balls of light, and told that they were going to be there's about thirty or forty of them. They were going to be souls or people that I'd worked with in my life to help achieve the task. And um, when when I'd uh, I was left alone in the room to communicate with these balls of light, these souls, and they were able to put into my mind, if I can put it that way, images that were associated with them in the future life. So there was some warning of of recognition in life of, oh, that person feels familiar. I feel like I've got to contact them. Um, But at the end of that process, they took all these souls out of the room and um, some of them had already incarnated because they're older than me and some had not yet incarnated, but they were all there on that night in that soul form. And then the greys who came in to talk to me as a child, they, they articulated a a celestial sound that emitted from them um like the most gorgeous music you mm. could imagine and um and they emitted from the torso this pinkish red Mist, like a glow, like a powdered mist is the only way I can describe it. And when I looked down at my white pyjamas, I could see the same mist coming out of me. And at that moment, I felt as if I had two heads, two brains, oh. two minds. I felt as if I was two people experiencing one thing. And that was my first introduction to the fact of this dual soul identity and the ability to tap into their consciousness as a separate thing to me as Suzanne.
0: And have you encountered others that have that same recollection that you have?
1: Actually... No, I haven't. I have encountered a couple of people I have talked to on Skype um, from overseas, but um, but not with the amount of detail that that I have mm. recollection of. And perhaps, as I said, it's my job to publicise this and talk about this, right. and and other people will recognise that 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 is them
0: absolutely and then
1: they will gain a better understanding of what they're here
0: for and i think that's very important and very courageous of you to, to speak your truth and that's what those communicators from that wave do right you speak your truth and keep yes. on keep on going and how many of those balls of light have you encountered in a human form do you have a sense
1: of yes yes um Quite a number of them, and, but I'll give you an example of two. Um, one of them, I believe, was Dr. Rudy Schill. Yeah, I
0: was going to ask you.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, because when I um, I was sent a pile of DVDs from a, a conference in the States some years ago, and um, one of them was of Dr. Schill talking about black holes and quasars. And um, as soon as I saw his face and listened to his voice, I thought, oh, my God, goodness I know this man I know him but of course I didn't know him and it took me several years before I could actually track him down and contact him and um, and of course you know where it went he contributed to my book um, and examined all of my manuscript and made scientific commentary on it So that was one of them. That was a definite one. But the other one was uh, a very close colleague of mine here in New Zealand. He was an air traffic controller for 33 years and he was a private pilot. Um, and he, he, while he was still an active ATC, he agreed to to join my uh, UFO Focus NZ, UFO Focus New Zealand Network, um, investigating UFO sightings. And um, I came across Graham when um, I read about a UFO sighting he'd had from the control tower in the city of Hamilton, and I contacted him. And the moment we met, it was like we'd known each other forever. And um, the work that we did over 20 years before he passed away from cancer was quite phenomenal mm-hmm. I think it was quite groundbreaking in terms of um, of aviation and the UFO uh, connection with, with aviators so, I think um, that growing differently was
0: one of those as well. It's such a fascinating you know, a journey to have those kinds of feelings when you meet people that we know you know them, but to you to have the other aspect of it from having experienced and met them early on in your human incarnation is quite powerful. I want to yes. switch conversations in a moment, but is there anything else about the three waves of the souls or the dual soul identity that you'd like to share before we go into another topic?
1: Um, no, just that I, I'll be enlarging on that in my next <laughs> book as well, um, because uh, I think uh, we we need to move in increments. We can't move too fast. Um, you know, if if the general public and science is looking at these things, some of these things will sound very strange to them. Which is why I've also concentrated on. on what I might call the nuts and bolts aspects of my of my contact experiences, which is the scientific corroborative evidence of the technology. I think it's important to keep your feet on the ground and keep grounded. But yes, um, the three waves now are really in full swing and it's going to get very, very tough, Ashley. Uh And, you know, we talked privately over email about how it's been tough for both of us lately, and it's going to get a lot worse. And I don't want to be a doom and gloom naysayer, but it is, And um, because no change is easy. And when you talk about sweeping massive change to a planetary structure and everything on it, you're talking about something very complex and hard. And so it is going to get tougher and I'll be writing about that with a little bit of advice and, and to people in those three ways, which
0: I think is really important because that guidance, right, will will assist people in kind of the little ding, 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 the wake up bells coming in as well as they move through this. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is you you know you do a lot of traveling around the world, and so how would you summarize in your travels internationally? Do you notice much of a difference in countries and cultures about the acceptance and openness um, to to the fact that there are benevolent extraterrestrials and that there are craft, and it is just part of the reality do you see a difference at all in the countries that you travel to?
1: Yes, actually actually, um, present company as a citizen of the United States accepted
0: uh, <laughs> I'm a citizen of the world actually <laughs>
1: I'll just make the comment that um, when I'm in the States and I've spoken there, there are several times now um, people say to me Oh, we had no idea that that things like this are happening in other countries.
0: Oh my gosh! We
1: thought it, we thought <laughs> it happened here, and um, and uh, so really, I think that um, the the states, because you're such a massive country, um, and and anyone outside of the states wanting to speak in the states, it's a real hard work to actually get an invite to the states because you have so many to select from within the states itself I mean I'm in a country that's only has not yet got 5 million
0: people it's one of the beautiful things about New Zealand
1: yeah you put that perspective with your own country, you know, um, we're tiny. So um, when people say that, I think, um, yes, the States is quite introspective with its own experiences, and I I really think they need to hear more about what's happening in the rest of the world. And the States has become very fixated on disclosure from the the American government, but... um, But, you know, this is happening worldwide. It's not just a thing in the States. Um, It's worldwide. And and as you said, different countries approach it differently. I know Scandinavia is probably quite Mm matter-of-fact about it all. Um, uh, In Britain, it's not, not... as well accepted perhaps as america america's mm-hmm. very much into the whole contact scene now so uh yes there are differences but i uh, perhaps that's part of my job is to go and say well hey look i come from little new zealand and and i'm experiencing the same or similar to what people in the states are experiencing
0: not only a planetary ambassador but an intergalactic ambassador i think <laughs> you've got a lot of titles on that uh, that business card <laughs> of yours um one of the things that happens, at, you know, I've been fortunate. I've traveled over 60 countries, and I've lived in, in seven, and it really woke me up to the programming that intentionally happens in our education system here, right? Um, my first experience... In, in Hungary, I went at a time when I was in my twenties and I expected everyone to be wearing olive green communist uniforms and there to be one kind of toothpaste and, you know, one kind of car. And, and when I got there and people were wearing, and then we're talking about 30 some years ago now, right? So people were wearing beautiful European clothes and there was all different kinds of things in the store that you wanted to buy and there were beautiful homes. Now I do have to say, I met this gentleman on the street corner who picked me up and uh, we were talking and we were going to go out to dinner. He came and got me for dinner and we were driving and he had a beautiful car and he's taking me out of the city, going further and further out, further and further out. And we got to this warehouse neighborhood and I thought in my head to my mom, sorry, mom, because I wasn't sure at that point if I was going to be coming back or not. Right. And so we get to this beat up looking building and he knocks on the door and this little window opens and he put in this card. And when they opened it, it was this beautiful marble Membership only clubhouse with the film producers and the directors and the writers and the journalists who were interested in an American's perspective. So there was some suppression in the communication, but the living style, what I saw, was so much more than what I had been brainwashed
1: Mm -hmm.
0: as an American, right, to experience in other parts of the world. And that I'm always grateful for because it has opened up my mind to not believe in the programming. And I believe a lot of that is what's happening in the quote unquote disclosure movement in the United States as well the intentional misinformation or the intentional focus on this dangling object over here. When we were at the UFO Congress, I say to people, great about disclosure. What's going to change in your life if the government comes out and says, yes. We have proof of UFOs and yes, we have proof of extraterrestrial visitors. And do you truly believe when they share it, they're not going to have an agenda of control, right? And my intention to having to wake up to the truth is in here. But you were instrumental in getting the New Zealand to release some of the government reports. Talk a little bit about that process, what you actually were given, what was released, and did it have an impact in the consciousness, if you will, of New Zealand?
1: Okay, very interesting question, because um, like you, uh, well, like you in the States, we, we have this um, relationship with Britain. We are part of the, the Commonwealth with Britain, Canada, Australia, etc., New Zealand, and other countries. Um, so, uh, the Br- Britain had already released some a few files, Australia had also, and Canada. Now, um, not all of the files were released in any of those countries, and I think we all know that. Uh, there's obviously going to be intelligence files. So, when I began lobbying the Chief of Defence in New Zealand, um, my, my colleague, Graham, who I talked about before, Graham Opie, and I discussed this, and... So we decided that our goal actually was that it would be a public relations exercise more than anything, Um, and that as a secondary factor, if some really good material came out in the files, well, that would be an added bonus, but we suspected that it wouldn't. And we were quite correct in that, because most of the files were... um, were, um, released memos that said virtually nothing. A lot of it was redacted and blacked out. Right. And then um, then there was some of the very common and well-known New Zealand sightings that had already been all in the newspapers and publicised anyway. There was not a lot of new material in there, very little at all, and in fact – uh, NZ has now an archive of over 10,000 UFO sightings, so we have far more in our archive than what came out in the MOD files. However, having said that, um, in, a, in such a small country, it really raised the profile of the topic, and um, as a result, we did a documentary with 60 Minutes over here, which, um, and we did newspaper and television interviews, etc. So it really raised the the profile and brought a lot more people into the subject. And it's interesting to note that in New Zealand, um, the website that has the sixty minute had the sixty minutes um, documentary on it had over sixty thousand hits. Wow! To watch that documentary, which is a lot in We're a there. small country, yes. and it was a network first and um, the most that hits ever on, on a, a documentary on a website in New Zealand. So that showed to us the level of interest, and uh, and it brought a lot of people into the subject, writing to us with historic accounts, people coming forward with um, contact experiences, etc. cetera. So um, I agree with you. Um, I, I personally think that the ETs actually have disclosure in hand, yeah. <laughs> and it's going to happen when they want it to happen. And um, and if any um, groups decide to come forward with something to preempt it in any way and to use it in a negative sense um, with an agenda, I think that there will be a reaction to that. Mm -hmm. Um, But as many as possible experiences between now and something like that happening – uh, are going to, a lot of them are going to come forward en masse I think and talk about their experiences and it's going to develop a, a sense of normality about it
0: Do you have any concern about um, if it comes to a point where we stop finding enemies amongst ourselves you know the divide and conquer I have for for years thought once humanity finds peace amongst itself those powers that were will then admit that there are off-worlders, to create someone else for us to be afraid of so they can retain power.
1: Yes, that's a a distinct possibility because um, really a massive, massive shift must take place in the human mindset. Right. Because if you look at your daily life um, and the people around you and and you listen to conversations on a bus or a train or in the street – you will hear people um, who uh, are couching things in terms that someone is the enemy, someone is bad, someone, you know, the gossip kind of thing and you'll find that um, that, that is the human mindset and um, so that's what we're up against in, in changing and in looking more positively at our differences between cultures and, and uh, races and and ethnic groups and religious groups, etc. cetera. Um, so I actually think we have a long way to go. And the Greys always said that um, uh, disclosure would, what we perceive as disclosure would take a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a lot of movement to make before we could get anywhere near um, acknowledging that, that they exist.
0: You mentioned your book, Beyond the Shock and Awe, The Other Side of Disclosure.
1: Yes, yeah. Yes, that's um, that's the ETs uh, monitoring everything that's happening and and adjusting their timeline according to how we are moving along and what progress we're making. And, you know, they reach into your mind sometimes and pull out a terminology that will help them to explain something in a way you understand. And they used a rubber band. You could pull it out like this, and some days you guys will be really well along the road to being more spiritual, and the next day it will have snapped. Right back to here again, mm. because a has broken out, or something major's happened in the world, you know, and uh, and it set set us back as as a as a whole um, group, put it that way. Mm. Yeah. And so what, um, yeah, Go ahead it's it's a matter of timing and this is where earlier on in our in our um, interview previously we talked about the cogs of the wheel starting to move and some people might be in those little cogs around the edge of the bigger cogs and they're waiting to move but until these major things start turning they're not Move. Right. They're sitting there, waiting for their turn, waiting for the you know thumbs up. It's time to move. Mm.
0: What suggestions would you have, if any, to people that truly, in their hearts, would like to be? ambassadors, right, would like to have more contact, as I mentioned we're starting this teleconference on lucid dreaming for contact, I have had some lucid dreaming contacts and there's a lot of people that join with us every Wednesday, you know, part of it I think is, yes, it's part of your soul journey what do you feel about the intention within to make contact and how the Galactics um, respond to that
1: um, well I always, I'm a little bit um, cautious, mm-hmm. actually, um, because, well, certainly back when I was younger and, and I was first coming out with my experiences, it was a very different um, environment to what it is now. It was very difficult, very hard, and in this People who—it's uh, a handful of people who've come out talking about their experiences were, were vilified by the press and everyone else, and some of them um, just went into hibernation and haven't come out. Um, you know, and but I've kind of stuck stuck in there, and a few others have as well. Um, but I think that you know you you really need to examine things very carefully before. You you step out publicly before you own it. Be really sure about what you're experiencing, um, that it's coming from the right source, that it has the the right vibe about it, um, that it's not harmful to you or anyone else in any way. And the reason I'm saying that is because in a group of humans that I was with on a craft on one occasion, the Grey told us that in the future when... um, When publicly people realise that that there are ETs, that there are visitors to our planet, there would be a a time of examination, huge examination by the public, wanting to look at what credible information there is about the subject. And... um, and any people who've been hoaxing or using the field to make just to make money or to mislead people, or because it's been ego driven, or any other reason like that, negative reason, they would be exposed and they would pay dearly for that. Right, of course. Um, and and people who um have come out about their experiences may may experience antagonism, may experience difficult times. Because of that, there would be a bumpy road before things started to straighten out a bit. Mm -hmm. So it's all about your commitment, and I write a lot in my book about this word, commitment. You know, do you have the commitment to see this through under very tough circumstances, or is this just a momentary entertainment for some people? you know cuz i think with some people it is well, uh, and
0: i think it is too I, I also know that this group we've been together about 3 years and it's what we do is by donation it just helps kind of you know pay the utility yeah. bills and things well, but um this the intention some of the some of the um people in the telecoms were asking you know is it something that's part of your contract before you come here or if you truly have the right you know, um, intention and you hold that field. And for many, they're looking at being, I'm going to use the word light beam carriers. It's not so much about going out there. It's about holding that frequency to support the raising of the consciousness. And I know you had in the past, um, taught some workshops on those aspects of it. So for individuals who are coming from that space of truly wishing to be of service to the awakening consciousness, um, do you have any sense of if that content is something that can open up or if it's, you know, it's part of the soul agreement and if you didn't check that box, you're out of luck? No,
1: <laughs> no actually, um, the, the Greys have talked about how there's, um, there's, there's the people who are in the Three Waves program, the agenda. Right. Um, but then there's many, many souls who have come in knowing that that this is a difficult time, wanting to contribute, and who um, that they use the expression they're running alongside us, if I can put it that way. Right. So this is exactly what you're talking about, people who are holding that great frequency, who are strong and, and good people, and putting that good intent and positive vibe out there. And that is absorbed by everybody. We That is accessible to us all if we want to access it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important because I think the – the role of um, particularly the, the those in the three, third wave and those on the second wave that's me the communicators our job is going to get tougher okay. as this time of examination comes around and those people who are holding that that good vibe and being stalwart um, that's going to really help the the whole movement
0: mm. we talked previously and again i'm going to give you an out because i can always edit it out of the out of the this after the show but we had talked about some of the frustrations with a lot of the ufo community at least here in the united states and how a lot of it is about things that have happened 75 years ago and the consciousness side of it really which is that which will shift the spiritual technology forward isn't really welcome in those type of settings, or in many of those settings. Is that something you want to touch base on today? And if you don't, don't worry. I can chop it out of the thing.
1: Um, well, the funny thing is, um, I've got a foot in in both in two camps in terms of a sighting investigator, which is quite nuts and bolts and an experiencer and contact um researcher so um i i realized the value of those of the historic um, accounts and um Every now and again, we go back and look at some of our historic um, material in New Zealand. We sometimes follow up on people who've had experiences or sightings a long time ago and see where, a, as a, like a sociological exercise, we want to put it that way, we see where they're at and, and the influence it's had on their life. So I think that some of the the historic material is really important. The archives like what you folks in Zeta's got is very important for when the public want to examine and they want to start with the sighting arena, which is less threatening than the contact one. But in terms of the contact arena, I think that um, um, there's a a number of researchers over the years who have basically given people permission to call whatever kind of experience they like a contact experience. And um, and I personally have a bit of a bugbear with that. Right. I think we're going to come to a time where, where we need to be more specific and to, when the general public wants to know what we've been doing all these years and find out about these visitors coming to our planet – um, they're going to look for people who've got more of the nuts and bolts kind of contact experience that I've had, um, uh, because the, the the consciousness aspect is going to be difficult to explain to some people. Um, having said that, I've had plenty of the consciousness experience myself, but Balancing it, I've also had the more tangible experiences, which I think are important for people coming into the subject and for future understanding of the subject.
0: And I think it's very valid. I mean, you know, the the concept of this radio show is threshold to ascension, right? And so, it's many of our listeners are kind of <clears throat> bridging both of those sides, but leaning more towards where is humanity as a consciousness evolution going, and how do our galactic brothers and sisters, play into that. And I know that that's something that you have experience with. You don't actually talk about it as much publicly, I think because of the nature of the conferences that you go to and having that balance of the researchers as well.
1: I think that – I think that we, uh, you know, you and I, I think, are on the same wavelength when it comes to simplifying things so it's, so it's easy for people to understand and comprehend because it is such an intriguing and complex subject. And the more simple and straightforward you can make it, the better. And I think that um, some people... People bandy around the word consciousness, and I don't know that a lot of people really understand what that means. So I always advise people to say to to look at consciousness as how you can make consciousness tangible and in your life. If your concept of consciousness is is um, improving the environment, because that's going to improve our care of each other and our care of the planet, and that is consciousness, then go and pick up rubbish on the beach you know keep it simple what is consciousness to everybody it'll mean something different let's keep it simple and let's keep it um, actually useful in some way and not just an airy theory term that we bandy about but but give it a meaning in your day to day life Mm -hmm. and enact it
0: I think it's beautiful I always used to when I was in university I was in charge of the student government back in those days before I became a rebel and I remembered uh, people coming in and complaining about things, but then when you asked them to sit on the committees, they were long gone, right? Yes, that's right. and, And I had a phrase in a poem that I wrote, they threaten revolution, but will not fight for change right? It's very easy to complain about something, but to actually step up and be part of the change and part of the solution, which is a lot what it feels like the third waivers are all about, you know, more under the radar just being versus announcing it. And I think that's very powerful people that when they read through the book to look into that. I just want to ask you one more question. I appreciate your time and I want to honor your voice. If you could go back to the you when you kind of came out into the public and started making your experiences known and give that you one piece of advice, what would that be?
1: Um, It would be not to put my trust in researchers who are not experiencers. Mm. Because I see a lot of personal theories bandied about that are bandied about by researchers very good at selling themselves um, and what they say becomes gospel. And um, and I think that in the future we're going to have to unlearn a lot of stuff that have been uh, that that are theories, simply theories that have been put out there as fact.
0: I think that's true in any aspects of, of life, right? And it, you can read a travel book about something, but if you've never been there, yep. you don't really know what the experience is like. That's a very wise piece of information, no matter what. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking this extra time. I know your, your voice is going. So again, just to the listeners, this is Suzanne Hansen. Her websites are communicator link. And UFO Focus NZ, I'm I, I trying to figure out a way to, you, you, you focus? You focus <laughs> NZ. <then>, <laughs> so, I don't know. And the book is The Dual Soul Connection, The Alien Agenda for Human Advancement. Suzanne, thank you so much for all your time, for all that you're doing. It's always a joy to touch base with you. So please take care of yourself.
1: Thank you, Ashley. And thank you for all that you do to enable us to get the message out there too.
0: Mahalo, listeners, for tuning in. We'll be live next week, March 7th, bringing you interesting presenters, ideas, and sharings and teachings from individuals around the world, some you may not yet have been introduced to. In the meantime, keep holding the light that you are. You are an important part of the divine plan. Mahalo Nui Loa, and good night.